Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I will never forget Katie and I's first purchase as a couple that was soon to be married. We were newlyweds, of course, and like most newlyweds, we didn't have anything, and so we needed everything. And So I remember hearing from a friend of ours at First Atlanta that there was a guy named Ignatius who was going to be leaving and uh, moving away. And so when we came over to Ignatius's house in 2008, we quickly found out the reason uh, why he was leaving. See, Ignatius was from India, and Ignatius, when he came to Atlanta, he had become a Christian. And when we got over there, we found out the reason for his leaving. And so this was 2008. Let me try to get it in perspective for you. This was 2008. In 2008, this is when serious persecution erupted in Orissa, India. Hindu radicals killed 100 Christians and destroyed over 6,000 churches. And we went over to Ignatius' house in 2008, and he was selling everything in his house so that he could go back to India. But not just any place. Back to the place where the persecution was the hottest. Back to Orissa, India. We went over to Ignatius's house. I still remember going in. I still remember taking his, I guess it was his sister-in-law or somebody, came into the house and she didn't realize what was going on and Ignatius sold his sister-in-law's bed right out from underneath it to us and we took it home and we slept on that bedroom suit for a long time. But in the words of Ignatius, and we went over there, Ignatius, he said, everything must go because we have to go to India. So here was this man who was resilient for the gospel. And here Katie and I are as a fiction-to-be-married couple, fiction to go out and begin our life as ministers of the gospel, fiction to leave everything that we know and hold dear and go up to seminary. This man left an indelible mark on our lives. This man was literally selling everything to run to a country where his life would literally be in danger. All because of one reason. All because he loved Jesus more than he loved his own life. And to this day, this is an honest truth, to this day, Katie and I, we still put our clothes in the dresser from Ignatius' home. We still have our, some of my books rest in my home office. They rest on the bookcase that was in Ignatius's study. The mantle that used to hang over Ignatius's fireplace now is hanging in our house. And also that we can still remember even to this day that as a married couple, as those who are ministering in the gospel, as those we can remember that we are like our friend Ignatius. We are pilgrims just passing through this world, seeking a better world to come. So you think about this man that I'm telling you about. Here's this man, Ignatius, from India, comes to Atlanta, gets saved, persecution breaks out, and his first reaction is to go back to the very place where they're killing Christians. And some may look and think about Ignatius, and they may think that, well, Ignatius' story is he's some super Christian. He's some super missionary. But listen to me carefully today, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 today. And if you have your Bible, 
I invite you to go ahead and, and turn over there. Ignatius' story is not some story of a super Christian. Listen carefully. Ignatius is just an ordinary lover of Jesus. Now, I wish I could tell you if I knew whether or not Ignatius was alive. I'm not sharing his last name purposely because as far as I know, he's still in danger today. I don't know. I haven't heard from Ignatius since he left. But I do know that he's there. And I do know that he is serving Jesus where he is. And, and he is not a super Christian. He's just an ordinary lover of Jesus. So today, uh, to show you that, to hopefully to prove that to you, I want us to pay close attention to the words of our Lord today in Matthew chapter 5. We made it all the way to the end of the Beatitudes. We've been together studying now for some 8 to 10 weeks in this one passage of Scripture. We've looked at each Beatitude one at a time. There's going to be another sermon about this Beatitude next week, so we've gone in depth for a couple of them. And so now we've made it all the way to the end of the Beatitudes and listen to the Word of the Lord this morning. We'll begin in Matthew chapter 5. And today, this is so awesome, today we get to hear the rest of the Beatitudes being read. We've stopped at verse 6 or verse 7, but today we're going to read for the first time in a few weeks all the way through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. and When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, we are handling a difficult subject today. A subject of persecution. Realizing, Father, that as we look at the Beatitudes, this is the life that you have called us to. Help us to have wisdom this morning and discernment. Speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of people are those who do not fear the fires of persecution? In a word from the Word, who are these people? They're simply Christians. Look at the text. Blessed are you, the Bible says, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Not if, but when. Let's think about the Beatitudes for just a moment. We've come to the end of these blessed statements. This is what they are. These are these blessed statements. And at the end, it's surprising. We have a word about persecution. 
But notice the language. Notice what is said about persecution. The Bible says that they are blessed. Why are they blessed? They are blessed because to them belong the kingdom of heaven. This beatitude is as much a characteristic of the Christian as any of the other beatitudes. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, look at the text. I want you to see something. This is really neat. When you're reading the Bible, you need to pay attention to the way that things are written. I believe that every word is inspired. I hope that you do too. I believe that every word is there for a purpose. By the way, God knows every language there is, every word that there is. He could have chosen any way to communicate whichever way, but He has chosen this word to tell us what He wants us to know about Him. So, I want you to pay attention here. I want to teach you something. There's a literary device. When you're reading this book of literature called the Bible, there's a device that helps us to see that this beatitude is as much a characteristic of the Christian as any other. Let me show you. Look in verse 3. Notice where we began. You see that in verse 3, you see a certain phrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then here comes the phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? Now look down at verse 10. Notice that we see the same phrase again. And this is only the second time that it's repeated. You have this phrase, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So look at what happens here. We begin with the kingdom of heaven and then we end with the kingdom of heaven. You know what this is called? Listen carefully. You'll understand this. This is called an inclusio. You say, why is it called an inclusio? Because it links or includes everything between the two statements, kingdom of heaven. So this phrase, kingdom of heaven, is bracketing the rest of the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes then are a portrait of the believer. So look at the Beatitudes. Here we have an individual whom God has come to redeem. This is the portrait. An individual who has heard the call of God. And then they have this realization of their condition which forces them to their knees. And then they're mourning over their own sinfulness. They're seeking satisfaction and hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that only Christ gives. And so the knowledge of the satisfaction that he finds through hunger and and thirsting for righteousness, what does that do? It leads this individual to engage with the world. He doesn't isolate himself from the world's problems. He seeks those out who are in need of mercy. He seeks those out who are in need of peace. And he is merciful to those who need mercy. And he is a peacemaker to those situations that needs peace. But then the Bible tells the story of what happens to this individual as he seeks to bring peace, as he seeks to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted, his work is not appreciated. Sound like anyone you know? He came to his own and his own received him not. Instead of being received, he is shunned. Instead of being thanked, he's persecuted. And the very ones that He seeks, the very ones that need His help the most are the very ones that turn against Him. But in the midst of all of that, don't lose sight of this. This man, though he's persecuted for righteousness, is a blessed man. Why? Look at the way the Lord speaks of him. To him belong the kingdom of heaven. This one who's persecuted even though he is persecuted, even though she is persecuted, they are a 
joint heir with the one who Matthew will say later, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, this one is a joint heir with one who has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And how did Jesus receive all authority? Think about it. How did He receive all authority? He says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to Me. What happened before all authority was given to Him? He faced a cross. He underwent the cruelty of a cross. And this Jesus has called me and you to follow Him. And in our following, He calls us and guarantees us the kingdom of heaven. Even if when we follow Him, it means that we lose our earthly life. Even if following Him means that we are in some kind of physical discomfort, Jesus has promised us that when we follow Him, to us belong the kingdom of heaven. Today, we have a word from our God about being a Christian. I hope that you see this. This is not a message about some super Christian. Today, we have a word from our God about being a Christian. Now, I know some who have this strange idea that if things are going wrong, then there must be something wrong with them. And I hope that if you are living a righteous life and things just aren't going right for you, then you'll find comfort in this because this beatitude, it rounds out any misguided thinking that you and I may have about what it means to be a Christian. This one who is persecuted by the world is following in the footsteps Jesus. So the question that we have to ask before we even get out on this adventure that the Lord has for us today, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, if this is what it means to walk with Him, how many of us are going to go wherever He leads? Oh, we sing about it, right? Wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Are you really ready to follow your Christ who loves you so, even if He leads you to the fires of persecution? So three truths this morning that we have from our Lord about persecution. Three truths about being a Christian this morning. Number one, expect persecution. Expect it. Each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Each month, 214 churches and properties are destroyed. Each month, 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians. And these violence are beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, forced marriages. And Hebrews tells us that we're to remember those who are in prison as if we were in prison with them and pray for them. Now we live in a land in America that doesn't know much persecution. I can say before you that I've never been slapped, beat, or physically accosted for my faith in Jesus. I may have been told to be quiet a few times, but never been 
beat or had anybody put their hands on me. So our land doesn't know much persecution. At least not in a sweeping way like we have some of these statistics before us. Most have never experienced the types of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters face on a daily basis. Some of us have never experienced persecution of any kind. And this beatitude that we have before our Lord is a great reversal for some of us. Because this beatitude tells us that we should be surprised at the lack of persecution. Not that we are persecuted. We should be surprised at the lack of persecution. Not of the fact that we are persecuted. Now listen closely today. Jesus was not telling us to develop some kind of martyr complex. He's not telling us to go out and seek persecution. And I'm going to point that out in just a few minutes, but if we have never experienced persecution in the name of Jesus in any form or any fashion, our Lord is calling us to examine our hearts and look at these Beatitudes and see whether or not when we read the Beatitudes, we really see a portrait of ourselves. Look at what it says. And I love Jesus. Blessed are those, verse 10, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then look at what He says in verse 11. He says, what do I mean? Here's what I mean. When you are reviled, when you're persecuted, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, in other words, this is this not necessarily beating and being dragged into prison, but any type of persecution for righteousness' sake. And I'll make that point clear in just a minute. If we look at this picture of the believer that Jesus is painting and we can't point to a time where someone has told us to shut up because of our faith or someone has silenced us because of our faith and we're really walking in righteousness' sake, we've never experienced persecution. We need to examine our hearts to see whether or not what is true about what Jesus is saying is true of the believer is true of us. These Beatitudes form a golden chain of blessedness. And what they're doing is it's telling the characteristics of a Christian. And I want to emphasize this again because when we have this word from Jesus today at the end of the Beatitudes, we aren't talking about anything radical. We are talking about being a Christian in the plainest, and normalist of senses. Listen to the words of Scripture. Listen to the witness of Scripture. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. And remember what 2 Timothy is. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. Paul's in prison. He's never going to get out of prison. Paul is going to be beheaded. He's going to have his head removed from his shoulders, all because he says that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And so he writes to this young pastor named Timothy. With his last words, how does Paul choose to encourage Timothy? Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. 
And then listen to this next phrase. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Where on earth did Paul get such an idea? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I love this because 2 Timothy 3, that's the same passage where Paul tells us about the Bible. This is the same passage that Paul uh, is encouraging Timothy to preach. And then he's encouraging Timothy to preach the Word. And he tells him what the Word is. And just a few verses later, he tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and the training in righteousness. Then listen to this next phrase, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And now, because we know what came earlier, we know what every good work is. The work is good even, listen, the work is good even if the good that we work results in persecution. Now think about it. We're talking about Paul. And if there was a man who knew persecution, it was Paul. Listen to what he says. This is his own testimony in 2 Corinthians. He says five times, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was at drift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brethren in toil and hardships through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, yet often without food in cold and exposure. Paul bore on his body the marks of Jesus Christ. What about you? What about us? As if Being a peacemaker wasn't hard enough, right? As if being pure in heart wasn't hard enough. As if being meek wasn't hard enough. As if being poor in spirit wasn't enough. Jesus comes to us right before He begins the Sermon on the Mount. And He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Jesus always knew that He was heading for the cross. He always knew that if He created the world in the way that He would create it, it would mean that He was going to have to come and suffer and die. And yet, He did it anyway. You see, Jesus told His disciples that He was sending them out as sheep among wolves. But thankfully, He is the Good Shepherd. You see, persecution shouldn't strike us as strange. It shouldn't strike us as strange. Let me ask you this morning. Search your heart. Do you love Jesus? Are you seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, then expect persecution. Oh, but it gets better than that. Don't just expect it. Number two this morning, embrace it. Don't just expect it. Embrace it. Now, again, this is one of these heart-searching messages from God today. How many of you 
Want to be like Jesus. This is what Jesus has called us to. If you hesitated to respond, let me assure you again that this is what being a Christian is all about. Making us like Jesus is the reason that God sent forth the Son. Listen to this truth. And I love the way the early church articulated this. This is the way that everyone in the past who first read Scripture, this is the conclusion that they always came to. Listen to this. Without ceasing to be what He was, He became what He was not so that He could make us partakers of the divine nature. Let me read that again because it's so good. Without ceasing to be what He was, God, He became what He was not Humanity. So that He could make us humanity. Separated from God. To become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, why did Jesus come? Jesus has come so that He could reform humanity. This is the message of the Beatitudes. This is the message of the Gospel. God coming to us to give us life amongst the dead. This is what Jesus is doing. And this new life that we have, all these characteristics that we see in the Beatitudes are ours. Because Christ gives it to us. It's not a life that we can live in and of ourselves. It's a supernatural life that Christ gives us. And all of these characteristics that we see and that we've been studying, all of these characteristics cause friction with the world. And it's in that friction where there's persecution. Look at the Beatitudes. Look at them real quickly. Just just look at them in your Bible. Every one of them is a great reversal of the world's value systems. So why on earth then are we persecuted? We are persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. We are persecuted because Jesus is making us like Himself. I remember hearing a quote in college or high school somewhere, and maybe you've heard this quote too. It's by Gandhi. Gandhi said this, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Anyone ever heard that? Seen it on a t-shirt anywhere? Everyone lives under a rock this morning. No one has ever heard that? Wow. Oftentimes we use that quote to talk about hypocrisy in the church. And I think there may be some truth to that. Maybe we can use that quote to point to some kind of hypocrisy. But we have this word from God. And this word from God, the Bible, challenges the false worldview that says that the world loves Jesus. Now, I'm like many of you. I don't know why anybody in the world would not love Jesus. My mother and I were just talking about it the other day. I don't know why anybody in this world or how people make it in the world without Jesus. But let's be real this morning. Let's get this straight. Jesus was crucified for one reason. He was Jesus. Jesus was crucified for being Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was meek and lowly. The Bible says of Jesus in Isaiah 42, it says, A bruised reed He will not break, and a faintly burning wick 
He won't quench. But look at what the world did to him. They strung him up on a tree to die. The world that loves Jesus is a world who doesn't know Jesus. And this is why we have to be real careful in the Bible Belt at Oxford Baptist Church for those of us who've been Christians all of our life. We have to be real careful that we love the Jesus of the Bible and not some Jesus that we've erected in our own minds. Because the world doesn't love Jesus. The Bible says that He came to His own. If there was anybody that would love Jesus, it would be His own. But He says that He came to His own people and His own people received Him not. Jesus warned us right after the Beatitudes in Luke. Luke records this in his version of the Beatitudes. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. As Jesus was facing the cross, Jesus had another word for his disciples. He says to them, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But what did they do to Jesus? They crucified Him. You see, this is why all through the New Testament you have this example. The apostles counting it joy. We'll look at this next week, but the apostles counting it joy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then Paul, his entire missionary journey riddled with persecution. And this is why Paul, understanding the message of the Gospel, understanding the friction that the life of the Christian uh, creates when he lives in the world, this is why Paul told the Thessalonians afflictions are the destiny of the Christian. But before we get too carried away, remember this persecution is specific. Look at the text again. Look at the Bible in verse 11. This is not just persecution for persecution's sake. This is not us as believers developing some kind of martyr complex and running out in the middle of the street hoping that we don't get hit by the bus. This is persecution for righteousness' sake. Do you see the difference? We have to see the difference this morning. I know some people, and I have a few friends, who they really, I believe, they would love to be killed for their faith. They have a martyr complex. I think that some of my friends, they, they're misguided in the way that they're understanding the Word of our Lord. Or maybe we're misguided in the way that we understand them. I'm not quite sure. I've never faced persecution. But I know that our Lord is telling us that persecution is in a specific way. This is the same Jesus who is telling us to expect persecution. This is the same Jesus who in John 17, He's going to pray that the Father would keep the evil one from us so that we would have unhindered access to the nations for the Gospel. 
So we're not supposed to pray for persecution. We're supposed to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. And the persecution that Christ commends here is persecution for a specific thing. Persecution for righteousness' sake. And so what does that mean? Listen carefully. This persecution is a natural result of what happens when Christ forms in us His own righteousness. This persecution that Jesus is speaking of is a clash of two kingdoms. One kingdom is fading away and a new kingdom is the one that Christ is bringing. We're not seeking persecution. We're not supposed to be fanatical or overzealous. Persecution that Jesus commends is for righteousness' sake, not for our own self-righteousness. This persecution that Jesus is talking about is persecution because we are being unapologetically Christian. We're just being who we are. We have to see the difference. Perhaps Peter will help us. Listen to what Peter says. He's writing to a church. They're fleeing because of persecution. Listen to what Peter says. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen to what he says. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer Look at this last word. Or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think oftentimes we meddle and we think that we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake when we're really just trying to push our own agenda. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't be persecuted because you're a meddler. Just be persecuted because you're a Christian. Now, persecution as a Christian is inevitable. And persecution as a Christian comes in many forms. Look at the list that Jesus gives. Look at, look at what He says. Look at this list. He's, when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil because of My account for righteousness' sake. There's no reason for you and I to go out and seek persecution. If we're living the life of a, of a Christian, the life that God has called us to, persecution will come to us. It's inevitable. There's a story from the early church of a man by the name of Tertullian, a great Latin writer in the early church. and He was a pastor. And there was a man who came to Tertullian and he was having a hard time deciding what to do. He was a pagan before he was a Christian. He was lost and he'd already had this business that he was running and then he was confronted with eternity through Christ. He was confronted with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He was saved. And so all of a sudden, he's having this hard time deciding what to do. He has a business. And his business interests are conflicting with his loyalties to Christ. And so he comes to Tertullian. He comes to this pastor and he said to Tertullian, he said, what am I to do? I must live. Tertullian looked at him with two words. He said, must you? Must you live? Don't just expect persecution. 
embrace it. This is who we are as Christians. Now, there's a reason why we embrace it. Listen carefully. There's a reason why we embrace persecution. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to what Christ says. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look at the next phrase. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We expect and embrace persecution because we have an eternity waiting for us. We are able to embrace persecution because of the One who has embraced the cruel cross for us so that even the hottest fires of persecution would never separate us from Himself. Number three this morning, remember eternity. Expect persecution. Embrace persecution. And as you're doing it, have your eyes so fixed on Jesus that nothing else in this world matters. Not even your own physical life. There may be radical Islamic terrorists, a group called ISIS, who systematically goes and marches Christians onto a beach puts them in orange jumpsuits and has them kneel by the seashore and systematically removes their head one by one by one by one. But they serve a Jesus who is able to take the head that was removed and put it back on. That's the Jesus that we suffer for. That's our faith. That's the faith that is overcome. In closing today, I want you to take your Bible, please, and, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The, the Word of God is better than any word that I say. See, I'm up here preaching, and when I preach, I'm, I may get it wrong. I'm not infallible. But I know that God's Word is. And so, as you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we close today, thinking about this difficult, heart-searching beatitude that our Lord has set before us about persecution. This is not, a, this is not an easy message to preach because honestly, I, I wonder and I look in my own life, am, am I doing what I'm preaching? Am I living the Christian life in such a way that persecution is inevitable? Would I have the faith to do what Ignatius did and run to the place where they were systematically killing Christians just because they're Christians? Am I expecting persecution as a believer? Am I embracing persecution as a believer? Are my eyes so fixed on eternity that I can see nothing else but Jesus and nothing else matters? I often heard someone say one time that somebody was too heavenly minded to be any earthly good I think that we need more people who are heavenly minded to be any earthly good 
I think that in the church today, we've got the great reversal. We're so consumed with thinking about little petty things that don't matter. Our brothers and sisters who go in Istanbul, Turkey, like Katie and I did one time, and we met with a church that couldn't even meet above the ground. They had to meet under the ground. We don't know what that's about. We're fixing to propose to the church to spend uh, X amount of money to fix the air conditions. And you know, I'm all for that. Great. We're going to fight over it? They have churches that change the color of the carpet or change the stage or whatever the case may be. Fight over it? Fire a pastor because of whatever the reason? We need more heavenly mindedness. Because this is the life that our God has called us to. I wish in our churches, I wish in this church, before we had any kind of meeting in any committee or anything. And maybe we can model this. We first begin with asking and setting our face towards eternity. Not towards little things that are insignificant. Setting our mind wholeheartedly towards Jesus. Persecution comes in all fashions and all forms comes from those outside the church, those inside the church. The key is to make sure that if we suffer persecution, we're not a meddler. We're not a murderer, a thief. We're suffering for righteousness' sake. And if that comes, if we lay down at night and our God who searches our hearts searches our hearts and sees, and we know that there's nothing in our life that we need to confess and get right with Him and persecution still comes, so be it. So in closing today, I invite you to stand with me. And let's read together the way that Paul encouraged the church when it came to persecution. Please stand as we read together 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-18. through 18. Listen to what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus says, Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, as we have heard this message from Your Word, we pray for eyes to see beyond what we can see. Please fill our longing with the only righteousness that satisfies. Father, we confess before You today that we don't want to enter the fiery trials of persecution, but Lord, may we never shy away from them. When You call us to bear the marks of Christ, then let us do so willingly with joy that is set before us. When we, Lord God, face the moment when living for Jesus means persecution and living for the flesh means ease, then Lord, let us choose to live for Jesus no matter the cost. And may we see even the most severe trial as a light, momentary affliction not worthy to be compared with Your glory. We cannot live this way apart from Your grace. And so today, afresh and anew, we give ourselves to You. May we never lose heart. We trust You. We love You. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until then, use us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to whosoever. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.